This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. See that you're born an Italian If you want your life to be great See that you're born an Italiano And your life will be great From the moment you're a small bambino You eat pizza, you drink vino Then they make you roly-poly You get stuffed with ravioli If your mama's a paisano You will have the world on a plate So see that you're born an Italiano And your life will be great and welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Italian American Podcast. I am your moderator, John Viola, here on a beautiful January day in the great garden state of New Jersey with, uh, at my right and my left, the one and only Rossella Rago and the notorious P.O.B., Pat O'Boyle, and we are on location at a very important landmark to the Italian American community because we are today at the headquarter offices of the Italian Tribune. And we are going to be sitting down with Buddy and Marion Fortunato for an afternoon of, uh, I think, some really important stuff. So I'm really happy to have you guys here on the show, and thank you for having us at the Trib. Always nice to see you, John. Yeah, thank you always very much. Always nice to see you. Thank I don't you. know about a boil, but it's always <laughs> nice to see you. <laughs> That's, uh, that shows you know him well. If you guys had Pat here every single day, I don't think you guys would get anything done. He's just He's been gossiping about no, North Jersey. No, but Mar- Marion and I have a very deep... Bond. You've yes, been gossiping we know... about North Jersey dating gossip. No, hold on. We know a lot of the same crazy people. Okay, but... And that's a bond that you don't get because you're from Brooklyn, but we, we know a lot of the same crazy people in the Italian community. A lot. Pot. And, and you are the paper. I, I just want to say this. I am, It's like being in the New York Times building today. This is yes. the New York Times building of the Italian community. This is the old tricolor lady. This is it. <laughs> this is absolutely because this is the paper of record. Yeah. Of our people. Pat is going to start writing the page six for the Italian Tribune. <laughs> yeah. But see, that's the best part of who we are. You're like the Liz Smith of our community. <laughs> we need a Liz Smith. You, 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 you it's you. It. Yeah. Could I do it? Yeah. Absolutely. But there's so many. You understand something? The Liz Smith aspect of our community is indicative of who we are. It's the big personalities. You know, I don't want to beat up, and I, I don't want to become stick like the Norwegian. Like, what does the Norwegian American Tribune talk about? I have great question. You know, I don't know. Do they have one? I wish they would it's comp us question. and send us an issue. It what do you have I'll with Norway? What's your beef? No, it's really? not. It's not. If a Nor- everything is the when he wants to say like boring people. Yeah, that's he not it. Says I think that you know why. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why it comes back to Norway. Was there a rejection a big, in high school? From no, Norway? I'm a big. No. I'm a big fan of a Prairie Home Companion. Yeah, <laughs> and Garrison Keillor's um, Lake um, Obagon? Lake Obagon. I often said that I wish we had an Italian-American Prairie Home Companion. And that's what you... <laughs> because we could have an Italian-American... That's why it goes back to the whole NPR 
obsession yes, that I have. You clearly do. Because we ha- if we had an Italian American Prairie Home Companion, it'd be a lot of fun on a Saturday night. It would be. You That's don't true. think so? Yeah. Well, I mean, we got That's else what to the do. new neighborhood is. It'd be That's the Lake Obagon stories. Yeah. That's true. You know, and you could sit around and tell the stories. That's the exchange. Yeah. And yeah. I just think, but. Why are we discussing this when we're at the Tribune? But Great this is, question. This is the cross of my life. My intention was to get us timelier to this episode, but so here we are. But I don't know. It's a great question. Why are we discussing it? Because it's inspired by how intimately you know this paper, how much it means to you, and how much it means to every Italian-American that interacts with it in this area. And you always, because you're so Jersey-centric, I think, call it the paper of record in uh, New Jersey. I, I'm sure that offends but, like some other Italian no, American public. But for New Jersey, forget, you those of paper. us in New York read the paper too, and a lot yeah. of states read them. How far? Is We've expanded a lot into New York. A lot. There are more papers now, John, in New York than New Jersey. True. Oh, Pat, this going to wow. throw itself out the window. No, it just shows that we export greatness. <laughs> and I said Brooklyn people got to buy our Jersey paper. Jersey makes and, uh, the world you know, takes, No further right? questions, Your Honor. I think we're done. <laughs> Don't they say Jersey makes the world takes? So actually, <laughs> I'm very makes. impressed with the Italian Tribune because when I was growing up, there was this like now defunct magazine that my people started like in their basement called <laughs> Lee Dea Magazine. I'm not afraid of them anymore. Um, and they... <laughs> They they really tried to um, do, you know, fair Italian-American culture reporting. It was very provincial. We're all from the same town called Mola di Bari. But then it started getting really um, catty. You know, people would be like, oh, I have an article. And they're like, well, well nobody cares about your father, the house painter, so no. <laughs> oh, and wow. they would just always write the same articles about their favorite singers that were uh. their friends that would come and stay with them from Italy. It's or more like, like the family Christmas newsletter. They would also <laughs> have a beauty pageant. Can you imagine if the Italian Tribune had a beauty pageant? We did. We did. Oh. <laughs> Every Columbus Day for years. So it was like we, Miss Columbus Day? Yeah. And we did it quite professionally. Why'd I, you stop? I don't know. Why did we, honey? <laughs> I think because... Getting into the age where women felt that uh, they shouldn't be doing that. Yeah, you see you it know. everywhere across. I, the think, I think I don't. Th- I think I don't know. I think we as a culture adopted that was a very American 1920s, sure. 1930s thing. Like you know, Miss Coney Island and Miss this, and I think it was part of our process of trying to have to integrate. Sure. Yeah. Oh, now okay. we're going to have Miss Italian Tribune, Miss Columbus Day. Yeah. In Italian fashion, you should see how the fathers and mothers would try to bribe us into getting their kids to get the crown. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, I can awesome. imagine. Was there and like a prize? It, this was like, I'm a big advertiser. <laughs> I, and my daughter is beautiful, and I, I think she should get it. Or, you know, I'm going to quit. I'm, I'm not going to give you the ads anymore. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Yeah. My father, you know, this is crazy. My father-in-law, Mary's father, would get phone calls. Ace, we went to school together. Yeah. <laughs> we, we were in third grade on. Yeah. You've got to remember me here. Like how about Miss America? Exactly. Was a college scholarship coming with this? But then after that, my father got smart. No more contest. He just picked who he wanted, who offered him the best deal. (laughs) (laughs) Italian answer. That's fair. (laughs) Very, very mercantile. You you know, your father-in-law's name, uh, your father, your father-in-law, his name comes up, and Pat sings his high hosannas constantly. A formulative figure in the history of Italian America, really. Uh, let's talk about the story, how how the paper started, how you guys got to the paper as a family, and tell us a little bit about the history. My dad, who was orphaned very young, like maybe twelve. My father's name was Asalagna. His real name was Armando. 
Um, he got the nickname One Shot Ace because he took the camera and just took your picture one time. Really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, and didn't need to do two or three. That's how that all got together. But so my dad didn't really have a trade. Um, he graduated from the eighth grade. He had no no parents or any kind of guidance. He used to sleep on flower bags in the back of the bakeries where his father built the ovens. Wow. For the bread ovens. That's what killed his father with the lungs. So uh, from there, he met my mother. My mom was three years older than my dad, but he didn't know that, neither did she. Um, and uh, he was 15, and she was 18. And to make a long story short, after the courtship, they decide to get married, and my mom goes down to City Hall to meet him, and he comes with his brother. And my mother said, why are you coming with your brother for, for the, the, the license? He said, because I'm only 19 years old. So my mother was, what? <laughs> 19? Anyway, to make a long story short, they had a very long 55-year marriage. That was great. God wow. bless him. Yeah. But what happened was that my mother's father was a portrait photographer. And he worked for a big studio called Rudolph's, which later became his. And he taught my father the trade at 18 years old of the camera. Wow. So my father became a photographer. That's amazing. And he had a great personality, and he just went everywhere. And he would submit pictures to the Italian Tribune. It was 19, well, the paper started in 1931 by two gentlemen. One was a printer and one was a writer, uh, John Cilio and Freddie Matula. And my dad would submit pictures to them for the paper. Probably around 47, he started giving them pictures. And he would say to them, someday I'm going to own this paper. Wow. I'm going to buy this paper because he didn't like the way it was. <laughs> People don't want to read that. No. So many, many years ago, in 1968, my father did buy the paper from wow. them. And they were, uh, John Cilio and Freddie, they were nice people, very nice. And they were happy that he got it. And that's where it started. Yeah. Now, I had just graduated from college the next year, and I was a teacher, and then my father needed me, and I went to work for my father in 1969. Oh, wow. And that's when he started the Columbus Day Parade. And brought the parade in from Newark. Newark, the, the Newark brought Hall. it from Newark downtown up to the North Ward, where all the Italians lived. And eventually he brought the building there on the corner where we used to put up the grandstand and have the big thing. And it just got big. I mean, we had Joe DiMaggio. He got Joe Pesci. I mean, we had everybody. Yeah. And it, it just grew from there. And then after all those years, then I met my husband in 1971. And we got married in 1972. And I had my son in 1973, and then I quit and stayed home for 30 years. Wow. <laughs> wow. And my sister worked for my dad then. And my husband was in the stock brokerage business, and my dad begged him to go with him. He did for a while, but my father was happy with his lot in life. He loved that he was like Mr. Essex County. Sure. It was enough for him. It was yeah. enough money. It was enough. He felt happy. So from whence he came to that was a big accomplishment for him. So it frustrated my husband that he wouldn't branch out. He'll tell you that later. Branch out the paper. Yeah. He had so many opportunities. Today it would have been. Yeah. And um, so he quit. And then he went in the insurance business, but he got elected to the New Jersey Assembly where he was for 10 years and he was pretty young then. So then my dad got sick in 1998 and Buddy came to help my sister, 
and eventually my dad died and and Buddy bought the business from my mother. And from there, he can tell you the rest. He's done a marvelous job, really. Sure has, yeah. First thing I, I wanted to do was something I couldn't do uh, with my father-in-law, and that was expand it and take it to New York. Paper belonged yeah, sure. in New York uh, because there was no paper well, uh, that's like the Italian Tribune in, in English. New York. That's an interesting point that I want to make to people. The thing about the Italian Tribune is you guys have been in English since the beginning, mm -hmm. 1931? Well, I think there were a couple of pages uh, originally yeah. in Italian. But primarily it's been an English language. Yes. So what people out there in Italian communities all over the country, I'm sure you all have your own paper. I mean, we had a huge um, history of, of newspapers and journals and periodicals in this community. I mean, there's a large list, but many of them never went into English and died off when the language died off. And the, the last sort of rump on America OG today, right? I mean, Il Progresso was yeah. an incredibly spread out, large, important paper. They just never made the switch to English. And papers, I mean, OG's, you know, it is what it is. But so the, so the idea that you had an English language paper for all those years says a lot about, A, a resource for the community that we can study in our own language now, understand our history, but B, the opportunity that was in front of you when you came on to take this heritage history archive in the language spoken by most Italian Americans and go out into the world. So I think that's... I, I think the monument, the real monument that people don't see behind the paper is it's a weekly. And it's been a weekly since 1931. Yeah, and that's not easy. And it's not no, the, the fact that it's in English shows that... Um, I've seen this with a lot of Italian parishes, Italian national parishes. So you have a neighborhood that has the Polish parish, the Irish parish. And when the, they go to ch close the church, we're going to close the Italian parish because no one in the parish speaks Italian as their first language anymore. So it's, they, they treat the Italian-American culture like, well, if they're not speaking the language, they're not Italians. But we're a hybrid culture. Yeah. Right? So we still are a community, even though our lingua franca is English. Yes. And I think that, you know, Italian parishes will fight back and say, but we're still an Italian community. Right. Even though we don't know, we only have 10 people at the Italian mass. All the other masses, it's an Italian-Americans. It's still part of our culture. And I think a lot of people don't get that because of a lot of immigrant groups, we really have, we don't stick together in a cooperative sense, but we do stick together in the sense that we have a collective identity. Yes, that's very true. And right? without the language, it's hard for institutions that are not in our tribe to accept that about us. Right, and if, if Mar we, Marion and I were having the conversation, because we are friends and we had, we had the conversation when we first got here, is that your great-grandparents were born in the U.S. Yes, on my mother's side. Right, so you're, we're talking like the 1870s here. Yeah, that's right. right. So you have Italian ancestors, some of the first Italian-Americans born in the U.S. in the 1870s, and by every other metric, you should be what we would call Medigon right now. <laughs> but you are the queen of the Italian community. No, I'm not. But I mean, think about this. If you take, if you take the fact that you're fourth generation now, yeah, and you're a grandmother, right? Yes. So that's seven generations, right? Your grandchildren are seven generation Italian Americans, and they are they have grown up in one of the most Italian American families in the country. Yeah. So I think it shows that where other people have kind of predicted, it's going to kind of come out in the wash over time. The fact that you're still here at the helm, even though your genealogical roots from Italy may be distant, you're there all the time, you run tours there. Your full-time job is a, a, an English-language paper about the Italian-American community in yeah. Italy. And I think that's what the monument is, because we could become American but still stay Italian. And that's what the paper's about. Yeah. It, it really is the synthesis 
of what Italian American is. It's that it's this paper. Yeah, you're right, and th and that's why I'm interested in hearing when Buddy comes at the helm this idea of expansion. Because why were you not in New York to begin with? Tell your story. My father-in-law took me to a meeting. I was not associated with the paper, and uh, uh, he had received a phone call uh, from a friend of his in New York City, and fellow asked him if he would come to the Columbus Foundation for a meeting. And my father-in-law said, sure. So he, he would take me wherever he went because Marion has three sisters. So there were four girls. Yeah. And my, my father-in-law, you know, adopted me, yeah. not only as the son-in-law, but I was going to be his son too. So he would take me all over. So... Uh, we went to this meeting, and at the meeting were uh, Meade Esposito, who was the Democratic chairman of Brooklyn at the time, and also Carmen DeSapio, who was a kingmaker, um, very, very active person in politics, not only in the state, but in the country. So they wanted to bring the paper. They wanted a paper in New York that they could have input into and begin to elect Italian-Americans mm. to substantial offices. What year is this, you think? Because it, it, it spurs uh, in my mind a lot of what's I going on. I think it was, um, I think we were married. Mid-70s. And I don't think I was working. I think it was about 1974. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense guess. to me. <clears throat> so they laid out a program, a plan to fund the expansion of the paper and they would begin to push names like Biagi, yep. Cuomo, yep. and uh, they were very enthusiastic about this. So, meetings over. No decision made. My father-in-law said, well, I'll get back to you. So I was not only uh, uh, the adopted son, but I was also the designated driver <laughs> all the time, too. <laughs> of course. Every so, good Italian yeah, elder sorry. statesman has somebody <laughs> yeah. in their family driving <laughs> yeah. them around. Every, my <laughs> uncle did it for it's my grandfather. Yes, it is. Yeah, <laughs> it's like I'm not going to pay a driver. but your nephew. Yes, but it's, it's got to be. Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. That was my father so, for sure. <laughs> so as, as we're driving back... Uh, I say to him, uh, what do you think, Dad? Uh, they seem to have a pretty good plan for you here. He said, I don't know. He said, I'm not going to do it. Told you. Wow. I'm not going to do it. Uh, I said, why? He said, well, we're pretty comfortable with what we're doing now, and we'll keep it like this. So, you know, I said to myself, it's a mistake. You know the expansion yeah. of the paper. They're coming. There's no risk here. Yeah, <laughs> they were coming yeah. up with the funding, the money. Yeah. They were coming up with the the personnel to to write and uh, uh, substantiate the paper with income. Yeah, and they weren't looking to own the paper. They just wanted the ability to to have input into yeah. the paper because they weren't getting that from the other publications sure. in the city at the time. So 
that was one of the uh, reasons you quit. Yeah, one, one of the reasons. <laughs> one I, of the reasons I walked away, you know, because I I just got frustrated. You know, I I, I felt like I was uh, I was being restricted. What a what a foresight! Because when you start telling the story, I start to think about where we are as a community, 1974. Right? I'm obsessed with the era between like 19. 65 and 1985 I think that's the sort of pinnacle of when we had the most opportunity to mm-hmm. take this and become a community that had all of the establishment pieces but still be Italian and we squandered a lot of them and I look at where we were in the 70s and these political kingmakers you think about 1971 when Nick Pileggi writes in the in New York magazine about the the resurgimento of Italian American power how we've got all of this a sort of groundswell of power we don't use. We're huge numbers, huge votes, and we don't do anything with it. And I think about the founding of NIAF as a year after that meeting, because these were the same people that were then going to Washington and saying, wait a minute, we're a big voting block at this point. We are easily united in terms of voting numbers, but we're not getting represented in the halls of power. We're not electing our own, and we're being used by other ethnic groups as a voting block. And NIAF is founded in 75. In 76 is uh, Identity Magazine or I Am Magazine. Then Attenzione with Gino Pelle. Now, they, they had a start de novo, and, well, they lasted until the 80s maybe, but here was a paper with already 40-some-odd years of life that really had the establishment. It's still here today, all these years later. So you're approaching 100 years. And what a, what a lost opportunity for all of us. So one of the first things I did when I became really involved in the paper was to take the paper to New York. And I felt like I was campaigning again. I was attending <laughs> meetings course, and, yeah. you know, knocking on doors, businesses. I can remember walking down a street in Brooklyn and people are popping their heads out of doorways of businesses. You know, who, who is this yeah. guy? You know, I, they could see I didn't, you know, <laughs> I was a strange face in the neighborhood, <laughs> of course, yeah. but the paper was received well. You know, as soon as they saw the paper and saw what it was about, and recognized that this was something of their own, something tangible of their own, that was the beginning. Yeah. It was a challenge. It just didn't happen overnight. And there are areas today that uh, uh, people say you. Mean you're not in that area. Uh, we have papers there, but we we're not as strong as we right. should be. Uh, but you know, those are those are the things. I can remember getting a phone call from the mayor in Boston, yeah, uh, who was an Italian, and uh, at that time, and and he said to me, I, I, "I've seen your paper a couple of weeks now, and I I would love for you to come to Boston." I said, "Mayor." And I started to lay everything out, you know, what, what this entails. Is this something you can do? Is this something you can help us with? He said, I'll get back to you. Well, you never got back to you. <laughs> but, uh, but it's, uh, you, know, it's you know, you know what it's like. It's, 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 yeah, it's hard it's, to be it's national. Especially even even at, at NEAF, when I, I spent six years there, and, you know, we'd get complaints from people in places that had huge Italian populations that we weren't doing enough. And you'd say, it's it's hard to be a national organization or a national paper. People don't realize that you can't just take your product and put it out there because 
there's a lot in here that is of an interest to a national and international audience. There's also some stuff that's local. And so what do you do when you go out to Boston? Do you have a guy in Boston who's now doing another? I mean, it's, it's a lot. It's not an easy expansion. Yeah, you would have to have people reporting in so many different places. Yeah. You know, you did so, many, so much of this well, is sending a, f- a person physically somewhere. We started that events. in, uh, we started one in Delaware. We had a pretty nice little staff and it was going along pretty well. But to do it on a weekly basis, yeah, people get very tired because it's a tough job. It is a tough job. Then they come here to visit the office, and they say, oh, my God. You mean five cats get <laughs> this paper out yeah. every week? I know. We have no contributing um, writers. We do it all ourselves. Wow. The only one is Floyd, as you're aware, has well, a column. The great do Floyd. The great, great, the Mark Twain, the, the Steve. The Floyd. Mark Twain of the Italian community. Yes, if this is the New York <laughs> Times. This paper, the greatest thing about he is I Mark love your Twain. paper. And I look forward to your paper with much anticipation every Thursday. And the first thing I go to is Uncle Floyd, Floyd's yeah. column. That, that's that. If you want to learn, and I, I, I know you've been approached about doing a book on Floyd's columns, and I think you should, because if you want to understand the Italian-American world or what it was, Floyd's columns are 100% the primer. That, that is the absolute... You want to tell something? the audience who Uncle Floyd is for those who you might not know? You should You would be a better... You, Floyd, Floyd Vivino is an Italian-American um, personality. Icon. Icon. Icon How would you describe him, buddy? What would you say Floyd is? Because he's Uncle Floyd when he was on television. Yeah. He's Florio Vivino when he had the radio show. He had a Italian-American radio show from 1987 until about 10 years ago. And he has almost in the seven figures of Italian records that he keeps in storage. And to the to the wider non-Italian world, his show Uncle Floyd show was essentially a precursor to Pee Wee Herman. I mean, it was a That's sort, right. sort of strange combination. Wow. About, I'm yeah. trying to imagine an Italian American Pee Wee Herman right now, and it's it's you, you would say feelings. Floyd is 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 soupy sales. Soupy sales. Soupy sales. He will tell you that <laughs> that uh, soupy sales was a great influence. Better better choice. Yeah. That was his influence. But that's, you that's see, his, you could, but you could, just to justify it for the paper, he's soupy sales when he's performing. Yes. He's a different person when he's writing. Yes, and when he's and when he's in the musical world, too. He's very musical. And so his, he, his articles are absolutely His articles brilliant. are fantastic. You know, he'll tell you. Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm here, plug, I, I plug constantly. If you want to support the community, you got to put your money, your mouth, your mouth where your, your money where your mouth is. And these institutions, be it a bakery or a newspaper or a church or whatever Italian of the butcher, it, it, nostalgia doesn't keep the doors open. Yep. And it's not that the, the paper's doing fine. This is not, you have to go out and buy the paper because the paper needs you. The paper's doing great. It'd be great if you subscribe to it. But if you want to show how you support the community, you invest in what the community produces. And something like the paper, you need the paper. I mean, this is how people always want ways to attach. Here, you can get this paper in all different parts of the country, and it is uh, And that, Can I just address it's a voice something? I us. hope this makes it into the cut. <laughs> I, someone called me up after we did Arthur Avenue and said, um, how much did you get paid for that infomercial? Which is a very Italian comment. And I, I was outraged because Hard the work. reason I bring it up is that, and I'm trying to say this is we're not getting anything for coming here. No, we're not showing. We're not showing the paper. This sure, is but great I, and I don't want someone. If you're listening, this is my little moment for me. We really believe in these as institutions. Yeah, these are beyond businesses. This the Italian Tribune is an institution, and Floyd as a writer is brilliant. If you want to teach your kids 
about your own community and you're in a part of the country where you're, you're kind of alone, in that sense, get the paper. And when it comes every week, it's a conversation piece on your coffee table, wherever you keep it, and you teach your children, and you teach your family, and you teach yourself because so much of the paper is about the Italian-American community and so much is about Italy. Well, you know, Floyd never wrote anything before that. And he was in the office one day and Buddy said to him, you know, I'm thinking, do you want to do a column? In the paper? Wow. And Floyd said, a column? I don't know how to write, buddy. So Buddy said, you'd be surprised. You have a lot in your background, you know, to put out to the Italians. What I said to him and was, yeah. just write the way you speak. Yeah. But he does that. He really just does. write the way you speak. Yeah. That's brilliant. It's another star on your chest for the community. you got to do the book. That's yeah. what I, I, we, one day, that book, that was Chiro Papi's idea, but one day... That collection has to come I, out. And know, I don't think young people um, care as much as you do. No, you'd oh, be surprised. Well, I don't, I don't think that's true. They care about Italian, but they're not interested in... No, I don't disagree with... I, yeah. we, we, this is an entire ve- entire venture built on this. Hey, you'd be surprised. Not the newspaper. I'm talking about what, what Floyd puts in his column. These kids don't identify no, that's, with that. No, that's, that's a Gwen... Uh, can I just... Uh, My that's kids a Gwen, are in their 40s, yeah, but they you look are, at me like, what? I could not disagree with you more because... Between the new neighborhood Facebook group, there's so many people who want to reconnect with this. I don't yeah. think you have any uh, idea how deep the pool is. Am I right, John? I do, because when they say newspapers, who reads newspapers anymore? Do you know that we sell maybe 40, 50 subscriptions a week? Yeah, of new course. Subscribers. New subscribers. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not surprised by that. It, you're Evidently. growing in print media. The, yeah, the we mark are is always down. growing. I'm telling the you. The Italian Tribune. In a world of dying print media right. is growing. So yes. if you want to see that the Italian community is still alive, look at the Italian Tribune. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I that's I, why we, that's why we do so well in New York because New York has maintained a neighborhood concept. Yeah. In lots of the boroughs, the Italians in New York are together. It's not that way in New Jersey. I mean, I'm reading little excerpts of Uncle Floyd's column here, and I, I, I think it's really sweet and nostalgic, and, um, you know, uh, I, I like it. I mean, it mattered not what time of day it was. All who entered into Italian grandmothers' homes were offered something to eat and drink. If someone absolutely refused to eat at their table, they would then be given something to eat when they left. Homemade Italian cookies, a couple of stuffed peppers, a veal cutlet wrapped in wax paper, some homemade frisella or cracked and cured olives. I mean, this is the kind of writing that I that I really enjoy personally. And I mean, there definitely is a, a community of people that enjoys it too because I think it's so important to remember these kinds of things to to write down you know the the cutlets wrapped in waxed paper yeah. and the way things used to be to appreciate how to become modern Italian Americans and I think that's the Italian American identity crisis now it's how do we still you know live this way but in a more modern fashion no I can't, can I just disagree in part uh, rearticulate yeah, I it. disagree also and I'll tell you why I think that you can wear a house dress and five veal Veal cutlets, or you can be in yoga pants and fried veal cutlets. Yeah. But the core of our culture is you're not going to go home hungry. Yeah. So if you don't eat here, I'm going to give you food, or I'm going to feed you no matter what you do. And I'm going to have a house full of food. And now I'm going to have the cookies, the, the biscotti for you, but I may have it with gluten-free flour, but you're going to eat it. But I was I, that I, disagreeing with yeah, No, no, but when, when I, no, no. Give, give me a second here. You, you, <laughs> I, I say something. They, they come. You don't understand. They just come after me. Calm down. Let me explain this. I think American society 
in general, has poo-pooed that hospitality culture. Right? Oh, yeah. Now you go eat at somebody's house and they don't even feed you. But they don't huh. feed you or like, why are you showing up at my doorstep bringing my bell? You didn't tell me you were coming. We Please didn't leave before this, dinner. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> or or the concept of, I can't believe she spent all day cooking. Or so, or like, oh, and this lady brought her that? kids over to play with my kids. Now I got to feed them. <laughs> of course. It's that was right. never an Italian-American thing. So I'm trying to say this. I think that people, there's two, there's two how, do you, how do you maintain this? There's two things. We know what the essence of who we are because it hasn't died. So the fact that in your neck of the woods in Brooklyn, you go to this one's house, that one's house, there's yeah. coffee and cookies everywhere you go to where you coffee and cookie out. That's us. So if it's coming from the grandmother with the gray hair and the girdle and the house dress, which I had, or it's coming from the soccer mom in the yoga pants, what survives of who we are is that hospitality and that cookie and that coffee. Yeah. The outside doesn't get that about us. So people incorrectly go, oh, that's, that's dying. Or, no, they don't understand because we're still going to put that coffee, cup of coffee and that cookie out, even if the cookie's gluten-free. Yeah, I agree. Right, but you. I still think it's important to read about, you know, the way Uncle <laughs> Floyd wrote about it. And like the the you know the that's the sure, core sure. of who we are. We evolved from Correct. that. Correct, and that's that, I but like I, if the nonna in a house dress was like a like a caveman, so to speak. Yeah, she evolved into a chicken in Lululemon. Right. Yeah, that's um, true. That's you know that, still yeah. smell like garlic. It's it's evolution. I mean, I think anthropologically, is it is it evolution or is it being re? Is it being represented? So the coffee and cookies yeah. are there. It's the same thing. It's just the offers. Uh, guys has changed. I mean, I write about, you know, making the cutlets in my modern day life, you know, which is very different from, you know, the way my grandmother does things from the way my mother does things. I mean, I, and I'm a very modern Italian American woman, but I, it still warms me. You know, when I go back to my grandmother's house, it's a living, breathing example of where I came from. Well, here's why I think as an organ of record of, where the community is, this paper is important. But let's not forget, as we say, this is an institution that's, that's, that's approaching 90 years. For, from the archive in English to the collected works like Uncle Floyd or travel, or the, the fact that we can capture the thought of where our community has been, come from, gone to, and, and see that whole line, let's not forget, we don't have, really, we, we think we do, we don't have the storytelling pass it on uh, history that a lot of people want to sort of look back nostalgically and think we do. We get stories, but we have a people that came to this country, put their head down, work hard, it, it, you know, obviously did not continue with the Italian language, uh, particularly during and after the Second World War. But my point is we have a huge swath of our community that still self-identifies, right? Every census, 18 million, 18.2, 18.5, th- th- that number goes up. And we have people who did not grow up in neighborhoods who are uh, some portion Italian and, and mixed with it. And they want to look back, but they see beyond the popular representations that are either you know, wrong or parodies or whatever. And they're like, well, I want to get to the real story. And it's very hard to get to our real story. So for me, I instruct people, like, go in the archives of something like the Tribune because you're going to read where we were as a mindset then, how we were talking about ourselves. Most families have not passed on how we talked about ourselves or store, like, you know, where did the grandparents come from? People say, oh, they came from Naples. If everybody who says they came from Naples, they they left from Naples or maybe Genova, but 
we didn't pass those things on as well as we should have. So here is an organism that can, you can tap back into. It's the New York Times because you can read it. You can't do another paper. There's a lot to be done, um, and we're, we're, tr we're trying to do that now. You mentioned something earlier, uh, and I could not help but, but think of this, and, and Marion and I ex experience this on a regular basis. Now we're downsizing our, our house, and uh, we live in an, in an apartment. No, we live in a condo. A condo. <laughs> condo. I love that you guys have worked together for so long. <laughs> We'd kill each other, my wife and I. So. so we're on the third floor, and there's an Italian family, people from Italy, who are on the first floor. Wow. Every time we see them, they will say to us, come over, stop in. Yeah. Have a glass of wine. Have a, come, yeah. have dinner with us. You know, every time. Now, these that people one. are from Italy. They're yeah. not Italian-American. Yeah. We're in Italy. They left a big gallon of homemade wine outside our door. Oh, Pugliese. Oh, yes. oh, <laughs> okay, here we go. They're my people. That may be the only part of this that was a paid commercial. How, All right. how, how, how was the wine? It was good? It was good. Primitivo. He makes it all the time. He yeah. makes it every year. Sounds like a nice every guy. Year. He's a wonderful wine. guy. They left it outside but, our door. But I could not Aww. help but think, you know, you were talking about the hospitality. You know, I would like to say it's it's inborn. It's not inborn no. in everybody, but no. it's it, it's there in in a lot of our people. Yeah. I agree with you 100%. And every time I think it's not in my kids, something crazy happens, like my daughter. We're there on a Sunday morning. We stopped by. We were on our way somewhere. And then her friends were coming in. And who had a, a, a dish of something? Who had some liquor? Who had the... I said, Sissy, what is this? Oh, we do Sunday dinner in my house. With all our friends every Sunday in the so summer nice. when we're all here. That's amazing. And who brings um, wine, who brings, you know, dessert. My daughter makes the, the gravy. She does the cooking. And she does. And I was, like, shocked at that. I think that's wonderful. Yeah, we loved it. That's uh, They took that with them, even though, you know, sometimes you uh, your kids... Like, when my brother moved to Vancouver, Canada, uh, for a woman, of course, <laughs> was not Italian. But he moved all the way to Vancouver, found a woman that was, l like, the least possible female like me or my mother <laughs> that he could find. And, and we all thought he didn't know how to cook. Like, how is he going to survive? Who's going to do his laundry? She's definitely not doing his laundry, so who's going to do his? And then he said, no, I cook, I, I cook every single night. I cook from your cookbook. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah. And it's so hard to find Broccoli Rob here. I had to go to three different stores and this and that. And all of a sudden, he's like an Italian wife. And I'm like, it's funny. I didn't expect it from my daughter because she does. She lives in Mendham. And that's, I wouldn't call that an Italian no. you know, community. No. But all her friends are Italian. Yeah, well, Crack we me up. I think she found them. They found each other. Yeah, I we think do. you find when you move to those places that uh, that are less Italian, you f you notice how Italian you feel inside. That's what happened to me when we moved to Jersey. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, uh, not that Walter. No, did not uh, hold on. We, moved, we didn't move we, to. If, I, to if I may, yes, non-Italian. If non -Italian. I may, one last excerpt from Uncle Flood because I thought this was this was really wonderful. Today, I carry on the old world Italian values I grew up with. I always make sure that I have some boxes of Italian torrone or bottles of store-bought Italian wine or Italian cookies or a nice glass jar of olives from Italy to give to someone when they stop by. Whenever they say to me, you don't have to do this, I tell them, yes, I have to do this because I'm an Italian. Yeah. He didn't tell you who his supplier is, though. 
I have to call him every couple of weeks. Look, I have a whole bag full of Italian wine. <laughs> I have cookies. Yeah. I have candy. He loves pusher. candy. Loves candy. Well, it doesn't yeah. matter where you get it, you know? That is so Italian to get it from you and to re-gift it. Yeah. <laughs> I guess so. That's true. I give it to him. That's I funny. buy, you know, all the candy he likes. He loves it because he comes here and he goes, why don't we have Italian candy here? Why do you have, like, sour balls? <laughs> It's funny though. You think about how, like, you know, why do, why don't you have Italian candy? This whole conversation is about the sacred versus the profane. We as a community have done a great job of keeping the sacred sacred. Family time, cooking for one another, welcoming. I think we've done a really really good job. The profane, the trappings of that, they do change. And so, what I'm finding with this platform that we've all been uh, exploring for the, a couple of years now, I think a lot of people are familiar or sort of familiar if they didn't grow up in a neighborhood or they didn't grow up with their family nearby and as the world spirals further and further away from the stuff that makes us us family time and good thought out slow foods and things like that people are yearning for it because there's no alternative to it. they're just spiraling out into a world that's less human and i always say we're really good we italians are really good at being human we value family food uh, loyalty things that are in, in imperative to who we are to survive as a social culture. And so I think a lot of people look back, and I see with what we're doing here, so many people who uh, listen to the show or are members in our uh, awesome groups, a new neighborhood, uh, supporting the show and, and interacting with us uh, pretty constantly. And they'll, they'll say, you know, we did it this way, but I always wondered why. And so we become a source of answers. And the questions become more and more sophisticated because they have a version of it or a touchstone to it or all different levels of familiarity. Some people are like us and they do everything the way their Nona did and some people are making gluten-free macaroni and I had to make a, I, I, even me, I mean, I, I, I'm a recipe Nazi, but I, my nephew can't eat half the stuff in a pastiera. I had to make one with coconut flour and yam gum, and but I did it because I wanted him to have access to that and the highest testament to me that young people are re-interested in this stuff is a, a friend of ours and a friend of the show who's very active in NIAF and his daughter introduced him to our show. And his son, who avowedly had very little interest in his Italian heritage, he's told us that, uh, listened to our Christmas episode where I said, when my grandparents died, I kept making eel for my dad and his siblings. And I wanted it there so that the younger kids who didn't know my grandparents could eat it. And they started to eat it, and now we have to make two eels. And he finished that episode last Christmas and said, you know, Dad, I think we should make eel again. And to me, that's what this is really about. It's not a nostalgia like they want to wrap themselves in something Disney-fied about the past. But there's a lot of gaps, and people are so more than ever looking for authenticity in their identity because the world's telling you you can be whatever you want, and that's not always true, that you are something. And I think that these resources and institutions like the paper and what we're trying to do, there are a wealth of real, in-time, authentic answers for people. Well said. You, you did a good job with that, John. Thank you. That, that means a lot. But, you know, let's get on. Also, Marion is, is, the, is the recipe maven. <laughs> and we just said, I, I had for my birthday your stuffed pork. Oh, the, the pancetta. The pan, yeah, style. Instead of the traditional stuffed veal. You have it, which was your mother's recipe. Yeah, my, it was my mother's. We make it at, on Christmas. Um, this year, I 
geared off a little bit, and I made a porchetta, mm. and um, successful. I think porchetta is one of Pat's favorite things in the entire world. I love piggy. <laughs> if you had to choose, too. if Me you too. had to choose between porchetta and tripe, oh, he likes that. Too. Can we sell yeah. it? I don't oh, want to. I was gonna say I don't want to get off too much off the paper, but Buddy is amongst many of the reasons he's one of my Italian American heroes. Tell them what you founded, and I got to go this year for the first time. He's been inviting me for the decade. I'm a gold card member of the club. <laughs> he is. He is. <laughs> um, it's a funny story. John, but it goes goes back to Italy. We were in Parma on one of our trips, and uh, Marion and uh, her friends are shopping, and the guys are wandering around looking for something to do, and it got to be around lunchtime, and I wandered over to a restaurant, and I looked at the menu that was in the window. So I, uh, I said to, uh, to the guys, I said, you know, it's a pretty good-looking menu, and they even have tripe. <laughs> so we walk in, and I greet the owner, and I tell him that I'm the president of the North America Tripe Association. <laughs> that came to me right there. <laughs> and I was, I, was, I was there that day to write a story. In Italy. In, wow. in, Italy, in Parma, Parma. Wow. And to, to grade <laughs> his tripe. Oh, that's fantastic. Wait, is Pat the vice president of this institution? So we go home, and one of the fellas and I, some months later, we go out for dinner, and we we had tripe. And you know how when you start your day, you get a phone call from somebody, and you're talking, and somebody says, what's going on? What would you do last night? What would you do this? Well, we said, each of us, that we uh, we went out for tripe. Next time, guy says. Next time you go, give me a call. Let me know. Well, what started as two people began to grow, and now we're up to 125 or 150 people. I, I couldn't believe when I and walked in. We turned away a lot last yeah. year. I think 30 people. I know. That's why I'm lucky. I'm glad I got a seat. And we we don't try to make anything. You know, yeah, we, course, we, yeah. we make nothing on it. And, and what I do is we have tripe two ways. And we have neck bones. Yeah. Oh, the brajol. And the pasta. The brajol. The gordica. The, the, the pork yeah. brajol. I love it. But the brajol is stuffed with breadcrumbs. A Galabrese-style brajol. Yeah. I, I love that brajol. <laughs> yes, he that does. I love, I have tripe all the time. But that brajol is just, it's it's like, if, if brajol could be crack. <laughs> that's like a crack brajol. <laughs> But you know what, John? I got to tell you, it, what's ironic about this whole whole thing, and it's part of a bigger story, and Marion's heard this before, and, but it's a true story. I grew up living in the third floor of a three-family house that my grandparents owned. So the early part of my life, until I was about six, seven years old, was there. So I would run downstairs to visit my grandparents, and as soon as I opened the door, I would be slapped, smacked in the face of the smell of a Denoboli cigar. <laughs> okay, I mean it, it was part of right. it was yeah. part of the DNA yeah. of, of of their their home, their apartment. They would that was the Italian go to brand. And let me tell you, Denoboli yeah. still around. What was it was uh, Parodi Denoboli? Yeah. Sure, yeah, they're but, in Scranton. And that smell is very particular. There's a certain Italian American cigar smell. 
So first thing I'd have to do, of course, is kiss my grandparents. You know, I would kiss my grandmother. I'd go over to kiss my grandfather. He'd be reading Il Progresso, and he'd have that Denoboli cigar <laughs> hanging from his, uh, his lip. And I would give him the kiss, but I would, oh, God, just <laughs> the, the smell. And I would say to myself, I'll never smoke cigars, never, never smoke cigars. <laughs> then I'd go in the kitchen, and at any given time, my grandmother would be making tripe. And I would say to my grandmother, what is that? Because tripe has got a another one with a smell to a it. Look, not anymore. Yeah, a I, look unto itself. I yeah, not anymore. Not no, anymore. no, because the preparation is different. But it, but it, it, you know. it, it, it did. still smells. It did. Nah, it can. And it can. She would, still smells. And she would say tripa, and I would say, "What is that?" And she would explain it to me. And I would say to myself, oh, I, "I'll never eat that." So, when we would have dinner, and the family would gather on a Sunday. Being the oldest grandchild, I would sit next to my grandfather, and he made his own wine, and oh. he would pour into my little glass the wine, and he made the worst wine <laughs> possible. <laughs> I mean, it was, and he thought it was uh, a Barolo or a Brunello de Montalcino, but he, yeah. it was it was far from it. So I would drink it, I would sip it. And I would make a face, and he would get the biggest kick out of that. And I would say to myself, I will never, ever drink wine. Well, fast forward <laughs> today, <laughs> you know, some people think I'm a tripa aficionado you know, because of, of what we do. And I smoke cigars. And the family, who were the founders of the Denobili Cigar in the United States, they became friends, and they were advertisers in the paper. Yeah. Wow. And yeah. wine, I love wine. Yeah. You know, I, I, I really love wine, and I love getting involved in the, in the stories that we do and the visiting of the wineries when we, when we go to Italy. So I am truly a product of my heritage. You yeah. know, I look back, and boom, here I am. You can't avoid it, really, sometimes. It's just like it's so powerful. I grew up in the same way. The first years of my life in the... Tenement house, my dad was born in, my grandmother was born in, I was born in. We were on the third floor next to my great aunt, who was like 90-something, and kind of the matriarch of my grandmother's side. And my grandfather's side, they, that's how they were arranged. They lived in the same building. And uh, my grandparents were downstairs, and it was the it, very much the same. Like, grandpa made wine, even when we moved to Jersey, made wine, and I could have a little bit in a jelly cup with either 7-Up or cream that's soda, right. whatever yeah. they mixed in, you know, and it is who you are. It's the fundamental, like... They say with kids, you can teach them any language between zero and three years old, because basically you're writing the hardware of their computer. And the hardware of our computer, for those of us that grew up like that, is written in the regional dialect Italian and the tripe smell and cigar smell, because that's what is in the hardware of who we are. So that's why people learn Italian when they, they say, I don't speak Italian, but when they study it, they learn it very fast. And that's the idea of blood memory. I think that food and wine is the center of our culture. Really. Completely. And that's what keeps people connected. Yeah. Because they like to eat. <laughs> and no matter what nationality you are, I'm sure they say that Italian food is their favorite. I think and, I would, I would I'd take that bet. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they do. Everybody I know that is not an Italian just loves to either eat in my house or go to Italian restaurants. I mean, anthropologically, it's said that when people are a, a, an immigrant community, the last aspect they lose is the food. Yes. But I think a beautiful thing about 
us as a lot of people, and, and it's your industry. It's what made Rosella Rosella. People want to learn the grandmother food. Yeah. Yeah, I think they that's why. They want to connect with. Uh, that's why I think, you know, Italian-Americans are, are very progressive. But from what I see, I mean, I built an entire business on the Italian-American nostalgia that is uh, that is really uh, really something that people are trying to hold on to. So um, I don't agree that Italian Americans aren't progressive or that we shouldn't, you know, try and and do better and go forward and be upwardly mobile. But I also believe, you know, with all of my heart and soul, that you know, you need to understand very well where you came from to get somewhere yeah. in life. I think and, it's really. But I don't important. even think my argument is. Why can't you wear yoga pants and eat scotola and beans? You can. That's that's exactly no no, no no you're not. I'm not saying I you didn't don't say don't that. act like I said you can't. You no, gotta, I didn't. You got to be in a Vestalia. I didn't say that. <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm just trying to say, is, if you ask me so much of what we are, it's saying that we can subsist as who we are and still live in 2020. Completely. Yeah. Look, I mean, we're all normal, assimilated people. And so much of who we are, science has proven. Yeah. Is a benefit to society. I completely agree. We, we, we created the Mediterranean diet. I right? just read an article yesterday that said yeah, we ch did. children who are hugged more often in their developmental stages have essentially bigger brain capacity. Sure. No and, wonder and our grandson is so smart. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, right. I, know, I can't put him down. When we moved to Jersey, my Irish friends, they come over, it's like, it's like a monkey in a cage. We're hugging each other. It looks like we're going to pick bugs out of each other's hair and eat them because we to them, we were like incestuous, but this was who we were. We were yep. affectionate and you know physical. Well, I, and... Buddy has that about him. Every time he meets people that he really cares about, he'll hug them and kiss them. And I say, "You kiss them." Yeah, you gotta. Because you gotta. It's that's part a, of our culture. That's right. Oh, okay. Let me let me ask you a question. Because you started out in 1969, right? Yeah. Now we are here, 51 years later, half a century later. How has this all changed from when your father got it in? The late 60s till today. How is this a different I paper think we've opened now? up avenues to a lot of younger readers. Readership. I would say that when Daddy had the paper, it was like you were between 65 and 85, you know? And every time we do a study, we've, you know, we keep dropping down to younger and younger. Isn't that fantastic? Because like, I think yeah. a lot of people have grown up with it now. Yeah, That's true, too. Have. Multiple generations yeah. of people. Yeah. What do you think? Well... My father-in-law was a wonderful guy, and he did a wonderful job. But the paper needed a modernization. But my father-in-law was a White House photographer. He was a member of the White House Press Corps. That's wow. incredible. And he was the State House photographer for a couple of governors in New Jersey. So he was a, an accomplished guy. And he knew a lot of people. So what he brought to the paper was a look and a style from a photographer. But the look became stale. So when Marion and I got involved in the paper, we changed the look completely. And we began to put and include features uh, and segments that the average Italian-American could relate to. So to answer your question, we changed a lot. We changed the print. We changed the font. We changed the it, it was in color. 
we, we just changed the layout. And I think Marion deserves a lot of credit for that because it's her eye. Um, uh, she's got she's got an eye for for, for that stuff. But um, the paper is constantly evolving because we're beginning to attract non-Italians who want to see the Italian lifestyle. They want to become part of the Italian lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what we're doing now. We're going to be doing that and putting the paper online. And we're going to be doing that with the content that we do and some of the programming uh, that, w that we do. So, you know, we've, we've done a, a lot. The paper has, has changed a lot. All you have to do is look back and you can see the paper is just a completely different paper today. Have well, you ever looked at any of the books that I have? No. We have volumes and volumes of the newspaper, all chronological, um, from 1931 until today. And each book is a different year because every week we save the one paper and it goes at the end of the year to the book binder and it goes into the books. You would like so that, Pat. We have... You would enjoy I would, I would Oh, you could bury on. me in there. We I have 90 years of copy. That's amazing. And content that... It's very valuable. We've had some one very big offer on it. We turned it down because we want to keep it for a while more. What would you tell the 30-year-old versions of yourselves? What advice would you give the 30-year-old versions of yourselves? Advice for... Professional, personal, you know, as young Italian-Americans, uh, as a couple with a dream with... Well, I, I don't think that the challenges today for the average Italian-American uh, are the same that existed for us or the generations that came before us. You know, when our grandparents came here, everybody's got the same story. Everybody came with nothing. Everybody worked hard. But what were they thinking about? You know, what, what, was, what was their imagination? Coming here was one thing, but what did they see uh, their family develop into? You know, there was a lot more prejudice. Not to say there's not any today. There is today. But completely different. I mean, you had, you had Teddy Roosevelt, who was president, talking about the lynching in, in New Orleans and saying they deserved it. Yeah. You know, so and you had Richard Nixon, who talked about the fact that Italians are different during, during that whole thing. And he was talking about Pete Rodino, uh, who was Marion's godfather. Wow. And for those who don't know, Peter Rodino was the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, which... During the pre Congressman Peter Rodino. Yeah, of Nixon. Yeah. So Nixon said, you know, on tape, they had him on, on tape talking about the fact that uh, Italians are different. They smell different. They, they're all different kinds yeah. of people. Nice guy. So the challenges, the advice is different. Uh, don't you think, too, that you and I have the same cultural background. Our parents were all the same age. Our lives were almost you know, parallel parallel with each other. I yeah. think that that started us off um, on the right foot. Because I'd say, you know, my mother really wants us to come to eat Sunday. And he'd say, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's my <laughs> marriage. That's yeah. true. Yeah. yeah, and if he had been a non-Italian, he'd say, what, I have to eat there every Sunday? You're right. You know? And I think things like that made us much closer, and we 
shared the same interests. And um, I always say that my first trip to Italy, which was with Buddy, um, oh my God, almost 50 years ago, changed Buddy and I as a person. I say it to this day. We did not come home the same couple that we went. That's amazing. That's wonderful. That makes sense, too. You can see where that happens. Why? Well, what happened? I was in awe of being there. I was in awe of what I saw, what we ate. I was there collecting recipes from the owners and asking, how do you make that? What is that I ate? Blah, blah, blah. And it, it just worked out that way. I felt like I was superior when I came home. I did. It was a terrible thing. Well, I was, so, I was, so, I was <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I was a little snobbish about that. You plug in, though. You plug in and recharge your Italianità. Yeah. That's why people yeah. participate in this show or in the paper and any of the stuff that we do because it, sometimes when you take for granted that that's so big a part of your life, yeah. then you go to Italy for the first time and you're like, wait a minute, it's even more powerful. Yeah. Right. So that's that, right. Can, can, I, but can say, I just say my one dream, if like time travel is ever a thing, I want to go to Italy, to southern Italy in the 60s yeah. and experience it in like full Fellini. Yeah, that, that's 50s. That's well, what I say to him. I want to be in Rome in the no, but 50s. Can I say yeah. something that's very important? And I think that you saying that you came home and you felt superior. I did. I still I want to underline something that for people who don't understand from that time period, people were still saying Guinea and WAP. And denigrating Italian Americans, yeah. making us out to be, you know, a cross between buffoonery and ex- an exaggeration and, and the like. And then you go to Italy and you're like, "This is who you're making fun of." The well, cradle you know, of civilization. It, not only that, it has everything. It has it beautiful climate, beautiful wine, beautiful food, beautiful people. It even has the Vatican. Come on, who has all that? Yeah. Your first trip to Italy is incredibly transformative. It is. I, I mean, yeah. I, I do the culinary tours, and every time I take someone who's coming for the first time, you just see you just see it in their eyes, like how much they're appreciated. I, I remember one woman, the day she got there versus the day that she left, she was different. Her hair was different. Her yeah. skin glowed differently. Her eyes sparkled. You you just see this incredible change take place. Um, it, it's a feast for the senses. It, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Good thought. You know, you've never tasted fresh basil before, you know, from Italy or, or a real lemon from Sorrento. It's an experience. But I think there's something about when you get used to your own life, right? You don't put on an anthropologist hat and look at your life from an examination of culture often unless you are like us and you do it every day but you take things for granted right and you lose a grandparent and you're like oh, i wish i would have done this or when you go to italy you're sort of a fish out of water but it's your kind of water so you're like wait a minute i kind of get this and and every your senses are all heightened it's blood memory yeah and i see that different version for people who stumble onto the show or will stumble onto the paper or an event or you know my whole career was defined by the fact that our family friend, Diana Famia, took me as her plus one to a NIAF gala when I was 16 or 17, and I'd never even heard of the organization, and I hated the dinner. It was boring, <laughs> and they gave these long speeches. I'm like, this, thanks. And then I got to the after party, and somebody was on the piano. Al Rolandi. No, yeah, Al Rolandi, that's right, was on the piano, and he was uh, playing Pepino the Mouse, and all these young people that... I didn't know we were even there because the room was big. They started coming up and singing together, and we're singing. Then we're singing with Jerry Vale and Tommy Lasorda, and I was like, I'm in my 
safe zone again. People sounded like my grandparents or my parents. And the tribe. Yeah, the tribe. That's right. And that's what this is all about. I'm going to tell you a story. I was six years old when I go to school. And the teacher, Miss Johnson, says to us, today we're going to talk about liquids. See how many liquids we can mention. Well, I sat on the right side of the room. She starts on the left side of the room. By the time she got to me, milk, soda, juice, water, wine, all the all the good stuff was gone. I'm saying to myself, what the heck? <laughs> what can I think of? Well, I said, Biangoline. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of my favorite words in the world, by the way. I really, this is a true story. That's fantastic. Okay, this is true. I said, Biangoline. <laughs> well, Miss Johnson. Okay. Uh, what is that, buddy? What, Biangoline, what, what is that? So, six years old, all I knew was my grandmother had it, <laughs> my mother had it, it was in that gallon Big jug, glass gallon, it yeah. looked like water, but, I, <laughs> but don't yeah, touch yeah, it. Yeah, but don't touch it. <laughs> and I, I, I had a very tough time explaining it, you know, and, and I'm not sure whether I got it right or wrong, you know, to, the, to this day. And when I went home, I told my mother, and, and you know, she explained it to me. That's a true story. That's amazing. And that's a cultural that's only, situation. Only in tribe. That is in tribe. Because in, in Italy, those words, the biangoline doesn't exist. Bacaos, it doesn't exist. Yeah. I asked for the bacaos. Did we invent biangoline as a word? Yeah, biangoline. Yeah. Was that a brand? No, it was the, no, the push salesman yeah, coming yeah. out saying biangoline. What, what, what would you call it in Mola, honestly? A candegina. Candegina is the word in Italian. Yeah. Biangolina was just the call of the salesman. And so they say, oh, the Biangolina guy, the Biangolina guy, well, what, what's in the jug it becomes Biangolina. Why do you always ask me what everything is in Mole? Because in, in <laughs> I'm fascinated by your language. But that takes I you. Love, I love Mole's language. Is that, a, is that a sin? Can I love the languages I love? I love I Mole. feel like you don't really love it, and you're just, like, mocking it a little bit. No, but that's your issue, not mine. Okay, fair enough. That's issue. Anyway, issue. back to Buddy. But, John, that takes us into... Another show. Absolutely. I was going to say, know, we have to come about, back here. It's a whole talking, other episode. It is. A whole other episode. Yeah, we say every episode, the tagline for the show should be, that's a whole other episode, because we just go in these directions, but that's who we are, and, and it spreads and spreads and spreads, and it actually brings us sort of to a nice place, because when you get into the paper, you want more of it, you wait for it. So tell us a little about where this paper is going in the next 90 years. Well... I think we touched upon the fact that we're in the process of putting the paper online. Yeah. But the paper is going to not just be an online publication. It's going to be different. And we're working on that now. It's going to be interactive. And uh, we started our own travel entity. And we did that, John, because I can't tell you how many times we get phone calls from our readers and non-readers. Yeah. Uh, can you recommend a hotel? Yeah. Can you recommend a restaurant? I'm going to be here. What do I do? You know. So I said a few months ago, a year ago, I said uh, to the staff, you know, we might as well create our own company. You yeah. know? I mean, we've been doing this. Uh, we might as well, yeah. you know, make some money by it. So we, we, we did that. And we have some other things in mind, too. So uh, the paper is evolving. Yeah. We talked about the culture evolving. The paper is evolving. 
yeah. and is becoming more current. And um, I think there'll be many things in the paper that Italians and non-Italians will be able to enjoy reading, to enjoy participating. So that's, you know, to, to whet your appetite, that's what we have in mind. That's what's going on. I'm looking forward to it. I know we all are because we're all uh, big fans and supporters of what you guys do here. And uh, you've got a top quality paper and it means a lot to the community. So we're looking forward to seeing it. And thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, it's thank amazing. Thank you for having us And today. thanks for coming today. Oh, we love it here. Of we're course. We'll come back. So now we're going to figure out where in this beautiful garden state we're going to go to lunch. That's our next challenge. So but we can help you with that. <laughs> all right. We'll take your recommendations. We so. all got to eat. Yeah, we got to eat. You know, I would take you, but... Uh, no, you get that call. That's true. I can't. I have to. No, no, no. See, this is the don't Italian. No, this no, no, is the no, Italian okay. problem. We're not. Well, you don't have to take us. We love you all. And uh, next time we'll we'll prearrange a line. Yeah, yeah. No, next get try. You know something? I should have thought of that myself. No, it's okay. <laughs> no, it's okay. This is so Italian. I'm, this is so Italian. We're just gonna lower the thing out into the music. I don't even need to say goodbye, everybody. We're gonna sit here arguing about whether or not we should eat together. We love you all. Thanks for listening. See that you're born an Italiano and your life will be great. See that you're born an Italiano.